Welcome to the Authentic Connection Podcast. My name is Laura and today's episode is part of the Splore Sessions. So I'll be talking to Corin Storkey. He presented at Splore on something that he is incredibly passionate about. So we chat about that today. And that is Marka. He has created a whole social enterprise around it, his company Selino Health. And in this conversation, we dive into not only the kind of energetics of Marka, which I thought was really interesting. I hadn't heard that sort of point of view before and also the science behind it. So there are some unique biochemicals that that are specific to Marka that have been shown to be really beneficial in the body. And Corin will talk more about that. He is very good at explaining all of that side of things. He's done a PhD in biochemistry, so that, that also helps. But really cool from to hear from Corin on his journey from kind of chronic fatigue and depression all the way through to discovering Maca and sort of feeling and noticing the incredible benefits that it can bring to your health and to how you feel. He kind of immersed himself in the Peruvian culture and really got to know Maca and how to treat it. It is an incredibly sacred plant or a turnip as Corin calls it. Yeah, really loved hearing not only the sort of science and biochemistry, but also the energetics and the culture that's associated with it. So the sort of ceremony and the sacredness that they honour for the maca. And what Corin has done with Selino Health is create a social enterprise which completely cuts out the middleman that is involved in most other companies. So they source the maca directly from a farm which is based in Peru and they sort of package it and market it directly to us so there's no corporate middleman and what that has meant for the community in Peru is incredible and I'll let again I'll let him talk more about that but yeah super super interesting to hear his perspective and of course then we kind of dive into sort of the whole situation with corporates taking control of food supply so it means a lot of the money that we're spending on food is going not necessarily directly to the farmer it's going to this middleman and so we talk about why and how it is really important to know where your food is coming from and that means supporting small organic stores and small brands who are truly connected to the farms and the foods that they are sourcing loved talking to Corin. this one was done remotely after splore which means that is actually probably better better sound quality so Anyway, I'm, I'm super excited for this incredible conversation. Uh, without further ado, let's dive in. That's enough of my rambling. Here's my conversation with Corin Storkey. Hello, Corin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Authentic Connection podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks, Laura. Thanks for the invite. And yeah, it was great catching up with you back at Splore and, and seeing the journey that you're going on. So really excited to be part of this educational mission that you guys have. So I thought I would first dive into a little bit of your journey, I suppose, hearing mm-hmm. about how you came about to be so interested and passionate for Maca and how Salino Health, I suppose, came about. Yeah, well, the story, I mean, it dates back quite far. Back in my, my 20s, I suppose, was, was the start of my health journey. I had issues with chronic fatigue in my early 20s, and that led me on a really different path because I was a young kind of scientist at the time and really 
focused on Western medicine and, you know, the, the scientific approach to, to health. And then it kind of continued later in my career. I actually finished my PhD in medicinal chemistry, but my research had taken more of a focus on looking at, well, it was more mechanistic, but understanding health. And, and I had a real interest myself in natural health from just from my own experiences with kind of going through chronic fatigue and, and realizing that, you know, Western health didn't have the, the answers to my health problems. And then, but I'd always really struggled as well with mental health. So mental health was a really big issue with me. Like I'd spent seven years on antidepressants on Prozac and it was something that I really, you know, it never really went away. And there were times in my life where I felt like I was sort of getting better and then I would try and come off my meds and it would just, things would spiral downwards again. So that journey was a really interesting one. And it's funny. I mean, I was at a point in my life like six years ago where I was living in Sydney, working in a big pharmaceutical company, you know, having the corporate life, the money, the, the house, the car, like everything that, you know, I thought I, I had achieved a lot. And, and yet I kind of felt empty inside and felt like, you know, I, there was a lot of depression that went with that. And I just felt like there was something missing. And I didn't know what that thing was, though. And I feel like a lot of us, you know, in the West, we kind of reach that place sometimes in our life when we achieve a lot. Yeah. And it was just a chance occurrence. Like I went to Peru on a holiday and I met my beautiful partner, Sally, there. And she kind of introduced me to her culture being like Andean culture from the mountains of Peru. And she started feeding me this this plant medicine, this root called maca and because I told her my journey my health journey and she's like you need maca maca is the food of your brain it's going to give you this strength it's going to rebuild you and give you this resilience and this balance and being a skeptical scientist you sort of question this and go well you know what are you what are you giving me so she's like hiding it in my porridge (laughs) putting, putting it in my soups like giving me these maca teas all the time but, you know, I trusted her. So I was like, well, yeah, let's just go with it. And I felt really connected to that, the plant medicine, because they, it's culturally like it's a very sacred plant for them. And it's part of their their way of living. Like it's sort of incorporated into the, their connection to Pachamama, Mother Earth. It's a very ceremonial plant in, in this part of Hunan and Central Andes too. And it was interesting because my health you know, within four to six weeks, like my mental health, I started noticing big changes occurring. And I could only attribute that to maka. And being skeptical, you sort of trying to rule out everything, you know? Yeah. And I said, I said, I wonder if it's this plant. She said, of course it's maka. That's how it works, you know? Yeah. So anyway, long story short, like I, I went back to Australia and, and I just felt like I, it, this was a defining moment in my life. I needed to do something. I needed to bring some some big changes and this I felt like I'd, I had this light sort of shone into my life and so I quit my career my job and everything and just packed up a bag and moved to Peru to immerse myself in in all of it because I felt so happy there so content and yeah I came off antidepressants never looked back and since then my life's kind of gone on a completely different journey where I've now you know, we created our own social enterprise working together to bring this beautiful culture to New Zealand and now Australia as well, like kind of sharing the knowledge and plant wisdom. And it's just kind of growing from there. So this, I don't know if this is that short version of the story. That's great. No, it sounds like it's an incredible journey. 
Yeah, because mm. I actually haven't heard you speak, so I actually haven't heard any of that yet. So it's really yeah. interesting to hear the background, Karen. So thank you for thank you for sharing. Yeah, the maka for within the sort of Peruvian and Andean culture, that's their way of, I think you mentioned, sort of connecting to the earth. Yeah, I mean, it's a very sacred plant. I mean, in Peru, they have a lot of sacred plants. And, you know, you'll see a lot of people have traveled to Peru that they've not even seen maca, but it's very much from the central Andes. So we're talking the region of Junin and Junin is sort of directly inland from Lima. So a lot of people go to Cusco and they go on sort of the Inca trail. And yes, it was an Incan food, but it was actually more from the Huanca tribes and the Chanca tribes of the central Andes. So they were pre-Incan and and the Pumpush people as well. They lived before the Inca. The Inca colonized them. And then the Inca got colonized by the Spanish. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of this going on, but, they saw maca as being very sacred and spiritual. And the, and the reasons for that, when you go there, you sort of understand because you're at 4,000 meters above sea level in this very desolate sort of mountainous area, very wild, very isolated. Mm. And it kind of, for me, feels a little bit like sort of central Otago, you know, like that dry, like nothing really is living there. It's very cold, the extreme climate, extreme changes in weather. And this little radish, this sacred little radish is kind of thriving and surviving in this area. And, and they see that it contains very special energetics. So Sally's, you know, and I learned a lot of this from her, like the plant has four kind of different energies Mm. that come from the environment. So the first, and they're masculine or feminine. So there's two forms of energy that it contains Mm. and and the masculine is there's a terrestrial energy and a celestial so from the earth from the from the 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 stars above so the the masculine is is they call apu because it needs to be grown at altitude and apu is is the mountain so they have the sacred apu of Watapayana, which overlooks the entire area Watapayana is very and we we when we go to Peru to celebrate the harvest, we hike to Watapayana's summit and we bathe in the, the crystal lake waters to, to cleanse. So it's a wow. very sacred pilgrimage. Apu is in Peru is very sacred and it basically is a protector. It's an energy of protection, but it's mm. also an energy that provides great strength and resilience. So think of it like the father, the strong father. Mm. He's there to to instill this energy to protect his his children to to give them the the force that they need. When we plant maca, we always plant under an apu. So we try and use the energetics of the mountain to provide sanctuary for the maca, but also to instill that masculine into it. And then they use tate inti. They call this is a Quechua word. So these are words from Quechua, their native language. Tate inti is the sun god. So He's the, he's the light and he provides the, the light into the plant. Without Tatainti, they say we can't survive. Life only exists because of Tatainti, the sun. Without the sun, we have no life. And that light is incredibly important. So when we harvest the root, we put it under the sun and we, we allow the light in for three months to sun dry. And they'll turn it and clean it every day and, and dry it. And it shrinks into this little pallet. Mm. so it's really bizarre like you take this radish and you lay it under the sun under the mountain for three months to dry Mm. it and Mm. then you boil it yeah (laughs) 
and there's a, there's a reason behind this. This is science to explain this. So those are the masculine elements, and this is one part of the plant. And then on the other side, we have the feminine. The feminine, the most obvious, is Pachamama, Papatunuku, Mother Earth. So Pachamama is the womb, provides the nutrients. So before we plant, we do an offering to Pachamama to connect and give thanks and to resonate in gratitude. And then before we harvest, we do another offering called Pagapu, which is to provide Pachamama with all our gifts. And in return, we get her sacred plant of Maka. Mm. And this is really important. So we have to go through the ceremony before we can take from the soil. And then we have Mamakia is the moon. And the moon tells us the cycle. So when we can, when we can harvest, but also the moon Mamakia provides the, the cycle within Maka as well. So Maka has the, with the power of Mamakia has the ability to regulate our cycles, our natural cycles. So our circadian rhythm for mm. women, it's very powerful for regulating their lunar cycle being their menstruation. So they understood that the moon and the following the moon cycles empowers that maka to further regulate your own cycles. So these are the spiritual components or the energetics of maka that all combine together. And when we, she grows in this incredibly, you know, tough environment where we have these extreme conditions and yet she sort of thrives under that stress. Yeah. So they say that she endures all of that stress so that that strength, that resilience, that power is our gift when we respect her. And, and that's, the, that's the feeling you get when you consume her. So it's this feeling of this beautiful, nourishing, motherly energy, this regulation of cycle, this empowering, strengthening father energy, and then also the, the light and the energy that comes from the sun. And, and that's a really good way of explaining the energetics of what what happens when we consume maca so yeah there's a lot of history behind it and a lot of story that's incredible yeah i'm just reading a book at the moment actually which is uh it's called braiding sweetgrass it's looking at the indigenous native american culture and their and their practices yeah they talk a lot about how what the land is giving us needs to be viewed as a gift it means when we frame it like it's a gift, we feel gratitude for it rather than just taking it as if we expect it, which has generally been the kind of Western view on things. We The land is there for us to make the most of and take what we can from it. So I love that. Yeah, it's like it's the land is giving us this beautiful nourishing radish to provide us with the strength and stability to be healthy. And if we receive it like a gift we can give back to the earth in in gratitude i suppose which is really the only thing we can give back to the earth in a way considering it gives us so much yeah well gratitude and respect but and and this is it's interesting because indigenous cultures all around the world have followed these principles of Mm. the the earth is not a resource for us to use the earth is is a living being we're connected we're at one with the earth and, you know, the way that they use plants is very different. So when we go, you don't just take the marker out of the soil, you ask for permission to take. Mm. And you also tell the plant what you're going to be doing or how you're going to use that plant. So we're going to take you and we're going to be using you to, to build strength for us, to help sick people, to help build, you know, and, and plants have incredible senses. Like even science has looked at this and shown that they communicate through chemicals with each other plants can connect and communicate with other plants it's all one big energetic interconnection so there's got to be a lot to say for the way in which the indigenous people have 
have looked at plant medicine and the way that they go about it with such connection and respect um, and the way that we've changed that in the West, you know, and looking at how healthy or unhealthy you can be when you're connected or disconnected to plants. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of evidence now behind that. Mm, mm, incredible. And so that was a really amazing, and I loved the energetic explanation of Maca. Do you mind for those science-minded people explaining it from a little more of the, because I know that you're really passionate about the science and the neurotransmitter side of things as well. Do you mind having a, just a quick explanation? It doesn't need to go real deep. No, of course, this, I get, always get excited talking about the science of this plant. So, because the thing was, for me, I noticed the, the change within my own physical being. And when I think about how I, I experience maca, the way Sally explained it to me with the energetics and that that's how I felt. I felt strength like I'd never felt before. I felt strong. I felt resilient. I could, I could, it was like going from a roller coaster that was out of control to being on a roller coaster that was enjoyable. Mm. and I felt like I got this you know and I was like wow it's amazing that power that I'm feeling and you know and so you go how's this working Mm. so so what we know about maca is new it's only over the last really eight to ten years that they've really started to study this plant firstly we know now that it contains four different classes of bioactives uh, and one of those classes is completely novel to this plant. So right. we can talk about, you know, the alkaloids in it and the different antioxidants and the micronutrients and, you know, those other components. Yes. But, you know, other plants have those too, but there's one class that's completely novel and that class of compound they named after the plant. So they've called them macamides. Uh, so there's macamides and macaines, and there's 19 different macamides in this plant. And there's four main macaines. Now, no other plant has these bioactives. So there's, they're obviously unique and they obviously do something special because it's a, not a normal radish. Yeah. What's really interesting is that the formation of these molecules occurs not in the fresh root. So when I pull the maca from the soil at harvest, we, we tested those roots. Yeah. And they yeah. don't contain maca mites. And this is why they don't eat it until it's gone through traditional sun drying. So the, the medicine comes from Tata Inti, the, the light. And what we know is that as that root begins to dry, it changes the biochemistry. So a lot of plants, they do this sort of preparation, like look at cacao, you know, you ferment cacao. When you've fermented a biochemical change to create uh, new molecules and new flavors and new textures, you know, there's, there's a lot of other plants in the world that they do this. So it's not overly surprising, but how they knew to do it, who knows? And the indigenous people say, oh, we, we talk to the plants, we connect with the plants, and they tell us. Yeah. Yeah. This is pretty cool. So the maca mites formed in the post-harvest processing of maca, and most of them come about through traditional sun drying, but also a lot of it happens in the heating and activation of the root as well, mm-hmm. which is why they've always boiled and cooked their roots or macerated and boiled their roots with alcohols. Now, these molecules are derived from different fatty acids, and the different structures come from the fatty acids in the roots. So you, the different colors of maca have different profiles of maca mites. So there's three mm. main colors, yellow, red, and black. And the way and the number of types of maca mites you produce depends on a range of factors. But, you know, the color of the root, how it was growing, where it was growing, how it was sun-dried, 
all these different factors. And what they these molecules actually are is plant cannabinoids. And they don't work directly on our receptors, on our cannabinoid receptors. So they're not like THC, for example, from cannabis. They work indirectly. So more like cannabidiol or CBD, which is which is the other big main component of cannabis. So they've shown that, you know, some of the macamides, for example, are really good at inhibiting the breakdown of our natural cannabinoids. Right. So they they augment levels of our cannabinoids in the brain. Other macamides are good at sensitizing the receptors to our cannabinoids. So suddenly our cannabinoids become more effective. Yeah. And then some other macamides work mildly to bind the cannabinoid receptors themselves. So like the CB2 receptor, there's one that's really effective for that. So yeah, they're working as, in, as indirect cannabinoids to improve the function of our own natural cannabinoids in our body. And this has downstream effects on our all our glands, our hormones, our energy production, our immune system. Basically, it's a, like a master switch to control the entire nervous system mm. and we can we can better tune all the different systems of our body when our endocannabinoids are functioning well and so it's a very powerful plant medicine for sure yeah wow that's really really cool i know there's like there's lo- lots of people who love the energetics but i i also like the like the science as well so i'm glad you're into that too so we actually studied uh, we're studying the macamides here at victoria university in wellington and we're doing yeah. macamide mapping and we're basically looking and breaking down and isolating out all the different macamides and really yeah. starting to try and figure out more about how they are working within the ecs and the roles of each of them yeah cool cool epic yeah that'll be cool we'd love to share that that research when it comes out yeah. Yeah. Well, we found, I mean, we found some interesting things already. Like there's definitely uniqueness in the colors. You know, we found that red, red maca in particular contains some maca mites that work more on the inflammatory pathways. So obviously enhanced effectiveness for people dealing with inflammatory conditions. Yeah. And in Peru, red has always been, it's feminine. So it's always been associated with reducing inflammation, supporting adrenal function, strengthening bones, improving blood flow, balancing hormones. So, you know, understanding these, these maps of the macromites helps us to better understand the mechanisms of, of, of how the traditional plant has been used. Whereas black is like the masculine and so it's more for stamina, strength, endurance, and brain focus. Yeah, so, so the, the science is not about really changing anything about the use of it, but more substantiating the traditional claims of the plant, yeah. which is real. we really are looking to, to yeah. in, improve that knowledge. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then something we were talking about at Splore, and I, something I'm really passionate about, but I thought that you had a really good way of sort of explaining it in terms of, as a consumer, we sort of sit back and think, oh, we don't have so much control about how everything is run and where, you know, and what happens, but actually we can use where we spend our money as our most important way to decide where the world goes. So I wondered if you could speak on that. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really interesting point because I, I feel like just like you say, as consumers, you know, we often feel powerless in the world that we live in, you know, we feel like what one little choice I make is not going to change the way in which, you know, the world is going. We can't, we can't defeat capitalism. We can't, Mm. you know, we can't go against these, these movements and these shifts. 
but it's actually incredibly powerful you know that what people can do when they when they implement changes in their own life you know and and i mean sally and i are an example of that you know like all you need to do is is come on one of our retreats to peru and see the impact that we've had on this community to understand that that massive change is possible yeah right and you would think oh it's only really going to affect us and our farmer perhaps but you really have we've really seen a, a drastic change within the whole community and this is thousands of people in peru yeah just simply through connecting the farm in peru to to the consumers in new zealand and and creating a model of social enterprise in which you know we work together as two families you know they produce and create all of these amazing products and we sell them on their behalf into an overseas market and we cut out all the middlemen we cut out the whole part of the supply chain that is is corporatized and obsolete and and unnecessary yeah and so as a consumer when you purchase this product like your money basically is only really supporting families because we only sell also in New Zealand like directly or through sort of small independent organic stores. Mm. So, you know, you're supporting a small trader here in New Zealand whose mission is to bring you quality food for your health. You're supporting us whose mission is to do the same, but also help support a community in Peru and you're supporting the farmer. Mm. And, and he gets, you know, and his family get 10, almost 10 times more profit per kilogram than they ever got trying to sell their maca into the corporate system yeah you know the community they see this and they and they think well oh my gosh like you can get rich from farming maca which yeah. for them is like the craziest concept ever because being a farmer you're the is always looked frowned upon in peru like you're the poorest person if you're a yeah. farmer yeah and and when we first went in five years ago to this village you know we spoke to kids in the school, for example, and we said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they're like, oh, you know, I, my dream is to go to Lima and to try and get a job in a bank. Right. You know, and they saw this as like being... The glamorous. Um, opportunity to... Yeah, it's glamour. It's, it's, it's achieving. And then, you know, we bring these people in from New Zealand to connect with the community and these people come to tell, you know, the kids from the school, like, oh, my God, this culture is incredible and we're so envious of what you have and look at your agricultural resources that you're sitting on and, and look at where you live. It's a stunning, like, mountainous environment. And, you know, like, and these kids are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're from, you're from the West. Like, you have everything. Just and, reframe it for them, eh? Yeah, and I think when they start to see the value and, you know, and of course they follow us on social media as well and they see what we're doing here and they see how you guys are responding to it and they see festivals of people and photos of people sitting in in a tent to hear us talk about their sacred plant, maka, and sharing photos of of them and their culture. And they think, oh, my God, the people actually really value what we are about. Mm. And it starts to change perception because then, you know, they're no longer producing market to sell to make money, which is the corporate approach. Yeah. They're living and breathing their culture and revering their sacred plants. And, you know, we said to them, you have to do your ceremonies. We're not going to harvest market until we've 
gone through the tradition, you know, like、mm. it's not about producing, it's about connecting. So you start to change perceptions there as well. And I think this is the beauty of this farm to table approach, like working families working together, is that everybody wins、mm. because they get way more money than they ever would in the old model. The community gets more of an impact too. And, you know, we donate a dollar per bag to support community projects and funds, and we sponsor kids in the school, and we do heaps of things within that. So they see the potential wealth that they can have just from following their culture.、Mm. And then, you know, they all want to farm maka now, <laughs> and they all、yeah. want to be part of this journey. And then, You know, we can bring that plant to New Zealand and sell it without having to pay all these corporate middlemen. You, as consumers, not only get marker at equivalent or slightly above, you know, equivalent pricing of what you would normally pay, but you're getting the best quality marker that's been sustainably and ethically produced that you know is supporting the right people. And And you're getting it at a really good price, too. Like, we're not the most expensive marker on the market, which is insane.、Mm. So, there's other marker out there that costs more than us per half kilo, you know, bag. And yet, all of that money you pay is not going to the farmer, it's going to、mm. all these middlemen. Yeah. I mean, it's a no brainer. Like, as a consumer, it's a win win. You're,、yeah. you're not only driving change, but you're, you're also doing what's best for you and your health if you, if you want to use marker. And then I suppose the idea to sort of extrapolate that would be to, for everything that you purchase, if you can find the brands and the companies that are doing the right by the people who are actually growing the ingredients in the first place, no matter what、exactly. it is. And of course, we're talking about Macca, that's the example we're going through, but you can use that for any example, whether it's the fruits and vegetables that you're buying from markets rather than supermarkets, whether it's you know, everything we, we get. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's, it's like, do we want to be lazy and allow you know, our money to be going into the pockets of, of the, 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 the big corporations? Or do we want to put in a little bit of effort and change the way in which we buy food? And if we all sit back and go, ah,、oh, I'm lazy, I'm going to go to X supermarket, I'm going to buy the The home brand of superfoods, you know, they all come in the same packet. They're all、mm. dirt cheap.、Mm. They've all been produced through exploitation and, and give all my corporate money, all my money to the corporate pocket. And eventually, you know, by doing that, we're going to suffocate the small people out of the market. We're going to lose all of our organic stores. We're going to only have mass produced organics. And I mean, I, we have a, an amazing store in the US that sells our maca there. And, and Josh, who runs that store, you know, they do farm to bottle, farm to table products only. And he, like, he said, at least in New Zealand, you guys are still at the point where you can you know, buy ethically and you can find and you can support. He's like, the, if we look at the American model and what they've done with Amazon and what they've done on this global, grand scale, he said, like, our health industry is just. Dead. It's been suffocated by corporate greed, you know, and they're envious of us here in New Zealand. Yeah, well, for us, it's like it's a little bit inconvenient to go out of our way to not go to the supermarket, but at least it's possible. You know, it sounds like from what you're saying in the US, they make it very, very, very difficult and very, very, very inconvenient to purchase your products outside of the corporate model. 
it is it's a lot harder and yeah. but i mean in new zealand as well like it's the the other frustration that we face is you know we we do have a lot of greenwashing that happens here so i don't know if you heard the term greenwashing yeah 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 greenwashing is basically using marketers and marketing buzzwords to to pull the wool over the eyes of the consumer so it's the wolf in sheep's clothing you know and like i'll give you a marker as an example like we've for four or five years we've been you know out there door to door workshop to workshop connecting and educating with people all around new zealand and our our supporters are people we've met we've pretty much met them all at some point so yeah. you know we've really put our hearts and souls into trying to connect and educate people on maka and as a result we've grown a lot and you know we're in 120 stores now around new zealand and most stores will go exclusively to our brand because they're like, well, what's the point in having this other market here? I want to support this mission, which is amazing. That's why we don't sell in supermarkets. So, mm. but now what we've seen is like the big guys have watched us and gone, oh, these guys have taken all our market. You know, their sales reps are all angry because they've lost their commission because they can't flog marker as well as they used to. So, you know, they relaunch themselves and they say, oh, we're now doing red marker and we're now doing black marker because that's what you guys wanted. And they put on their bags like ethically sourced in Peru. So they've literally copied the word for word. So it's sort of like they try and copy your brand and your model. And for a lot of consumers, though, like you look for the buzzwords. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. but it's organic. But I, the one I get to organic and it's like, but organic doesn't mean <laughs> ethical, fair sustainable like it's not necessarily supporting a farmer like it's if i put organic on something it doesn't make it a better product yeah you know it's exactly like, the same and i suppose yeah. even with the with the term ethical if we're going to use that as an example there's nobody checking that or certifying for that or you know nobody's going to pull them up if exactly. they put ethical in their packaging and they're not actually ethical and and you know in Peru we've seen so many examples of fair trade certification being meaningless. Yeah. Because it's so easy to get these kind of certifications, but it's but you've got it's it's above and beyond fair trade. Like fair trade is basically you know some sort of guy with a clipboard who goes around and and inspects certain ways in which they they're sourcing. But I mean I'll give you one example like in the cacao industry where there's you know a cooperative in northern Peru that was a small cooperative that started to grow and grow and grow and the supply outweighed the demand. And, and so they kept telling everyone, we're a fair trade certified cooperative mm. and you can even come see our farms. But the amount of cacao that they were exporting didn't add up to how much they could potentially produce. So they ended up just buying cacao from all around Peru and undercutting and price warring farmers and getting ridiculously dirt cheap cacao and then just pulling it all together. And yeah. they have farmers on their books that aren't even real farmers that don't even exist to make themselves look still like a cooperative. Right. And then they become this kind of corporatized monopoly that is a mass cacao exporter, you know, and, and then companies here in New Zealand are buying their cacao and saying, oh, but it's fair trade certified. Mm. And and potentially there's, you know, one or two farms in that cooperative that are fair trade certified. But are you even getting cacao from them? Yeah, probably Because not. you look at the numbers and it doesn't add up, you know. Yeah. And so in developing countries, there's a lot of great ways to get different certifications that don't necessarily mean anything. So I always say, like, who's your farmer's name? What's his name or her name? Yeah. Tell me the family. Where do they live? Mm. 
you know, mm. like I could, I can, if you give me a bag of maca with our, our code on it, our production code, I can not only tell you the names of our farmer and family who produced it and the people who came and helped pick, pick it that year, but I can take you to the exact field in which we harvested it from and where we did the ceremony pre-harvest as well. Wow. Because every, every batch comes with that, that, that love that we mm. put into it. Mm. And I think that that's something special. So these companies that say, oh, we, we also work directly with farmers. It's a farce. It's completely not true in my mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have different, like, yeah, exactly. It's like their definition of working directly with the farmers is quite different to the reality of what it looks like to actually work directly with farmers. Mm. Yeah. And all corporations will say that, oh, we work with farmers too. Well, everyone works with farmers. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, how do you treat your farmer? And, and how do you pay them? And you're a, yeah, and you're a broker, so your interest is only in one thing. You yeah. know, and one uh, other example in New Zealand, like we looked at 10 brands of market here and we found that only 30%, three out of 10 brands that we checked contained makamides of sufficient level. And we also found within those 10 brands, two out of 10 were not even real maca. They were actually maca that had been cut or diluted with starches. Right. And so, so these kind of examples show you the problem with the corporate model. Mm. I'm a consumer. If I'm just going to rely on buzzwords like organic and ethical and sustainable, and I'm going to go out and buy these corporate brands from, you know, supermarkets or from health stores, like there's with marker, there's only a 30% chance I'm going to hit, hit a brand that's actually going to be therapeutic. Mm. And there's a 20% chance that I'm actually not even going to get real marker, mm. you know, and th- this is, this is the problem when we don't regulate the industry, when we don't go farm to table, when we don't support specialized companies, mm. you know, mm. and, and if you're a specialized company and you only do marker, there's no way you're going to get away with, you know, producing crap quality maca like that. Mm. So one, one, one advice I would give to people is you, you really need, you know, for 10 products, 10 different companies in theory. You just got to find the people out there that are specialized in what they do and, and work directly from the grassroots upwards. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, again, it's hard work, but it's probably worth it for the result it's going to give to the future of the economy, I suppose. Yeah, and it's you know like it's bringing change, massive change. Look at like I said, there's there's thousands of people that are benefiting from this model in Peru. Yeah, and if we could do that for all of these foods, then we're actually really starting to make a difference. Yeah, you know, and you know it needs to happen with all superfoods. It, Sally always says to me as well. My partner says, you know, like people here in the West, we you know we we want these superfoods, but the thing that we need to realize is every single one of these superfoods that we, that we desire from overseas is, is actually an indigenous plant and it comes from an indigenous culture. And yet we have no connection to those indigenous people. Yeah. So do we even deserve to have them? Yeah. You know, like, you know, it would be like people going, Oh, I want kawakawa. I want, I want some native New Zealand plant. I want to come and take it from the Maori people and make money from it overseas. Like, we need to learn the journey of all of these plants before we even begin to consume them. Cool. That's really, really good advice and really good insight. Now, my next question is around, I suppose, authentic connection, which of course is the name of the podcast. And even just you talked a little bit about your journey with 
depression and dealing with mental health issues what what is a practice that that you do maybe daily or weekly that you find really helps to bring you back into yourself if you're busy or stressed yeah it, I mean it that's a really good question and I think for me like the change the change in my life really began when I started investigating like esoteric arts or, or holistic holistic health practices I, I'm really passionate about traditional Chinese medicine and I oh. think my passion for that came you know back when I started the journey to recovery from chronic fatigue that was the, kind of the first thing that really started to change things within my health and I was really big on on qigong I don't know if you know qigong I don't know it well but I've, I think I think there was a, one of the one of the practitioners at BPO used to do it for us occasionally. Yeah. So Qigong, I mean, Qigong is very broad. Qigong just means movement of energy, but it can be anything. I mean, external Qigong is like running. If I go running, I'm doing Qigong, but qi, Qigong itself is a, is a school is, is like learning to harmonize the breath, the mind and the body. And when we get harmony within all three of those, you know, we can self-heal and we, we are unified and we are balanced and we're connected. Oh. So for me, I started learning Qigong and it was the hardest thing as a scientist to really get out of the rational and into the, but I always say like, I love the science and I'm always, I love doing science of marker and cacao that we do a lot of now as well, but I'm actually happier when I'm focused more on the spiritual, mm. you know? And I yeah. think that's why I was meant to meet Sally my partner because she brings a lot of that aspect into my life yeah and it's the balancer for me so qigong was the was an amazing start and it's you know i love it because it's it's movement it's it's strength building it's also can be very very internal and meditative but it can also be quite external and physical depending on the forms that you're learning so that was that's something i really swear by and also that sort of idea of mindfulness and just being present mm. and connected. And I feel that I learned a lot of that in Peru about the way in which we consume and taking the time to be mindful, mm. you know, and, and Maka is an amazing tool to give you that as well, because when we, when we consume with ceremony, and by ceremony, I mean like ceremony is you are your ceremony. Mm. Every, every time you eat, you're having a ceremony. You're connecting with Mother Earth. You're connecting with Pachamama. You're connecting with your food. So using a food like maca that comes from such strong ceremonial kind of use, it's a really great anchoring tool to take you to back to like the present here mm. right now. Mm. You know, and I find that that I learned a lot in Peru. It's like when I have my maca, it's like it's 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 my moment to be present. It's my mm. moment to be connected. It's my moment to feel the strength, the resilience, the balance, the bliss that she gives me. So, yeah, those would be my two kind of, you know, using energy arts as a tool to to bring balance, but also using food like maca and these sacred plants as a tool to to shift your consciousness back to to being here embodied yeah yeah cool fabulous and my next question around is about sort of is around connecting really authentically with others so whether it's sally or just friends and family 
you know, it's quite easy to stay sort of surface level and chat the weather and things like that with people. How do you get a little bit deeper with people? Yeah, I feel like I've always sort of surrounded myself or connected with people that, you know, that communicate on a deeper level. Mm. I know what you mean. Like I do have some friends where it's very much superficial chit chat. Yeah. But normally when I'm around my friends, like it turns into deep conversations about space time or about <laughs> like, I don't know, about the meaning of life, meaning of life, like all that sort of <laughs> classic <stuff>. one. <laughs> yeah. And all about concepts, about ideologies, about deep discussions. But I feel, you know, and it's so interesting because like we ran a workshop last night about this and you know one of those questions that comes up is and I can relate to this is like the the whole mental health issue we have in New Zealand you know with so many younger people feeling these mental health issues in their life these problems and I was thinking about it and I I was thinking you know what are the solutions to this obviously like you know plants like maca these natural antidepressants can can really help with things like that but then that's not the sole answer you know it's like it's food it's Mm. it's lifestyle it's if you know we know about the how important the gut is in regards to our serotonin production for example and and then the deeper level of that is connection yeah how do we connect to ourselves how do we connect to others and I, I feel like maybe a lot of the people that listen to your podcast are already well deep within that journey and they're very connected people and they're very much like they're going to sit and, t- and open their heart and soul and share. How do we get to those people out there that aren't comfortable in that space? Yeah, it's a very good question. They're the ones that we need to get to. The people who go to NZ Spirit and Splore and, you know, they're already, they're halfway through their journey or at the, you know, developed. But, but so one thing that we've noticed a lot is this concept of, you know, ceremony has started to really enter its way into our, our holistic culture here in New Zealand. Yeah. So, you know, there's health hubs in Auckland now and Wellington and they're doing weekly or fortnightly kind of cacao ceremonies with embodied practice with breathwork with ecstatic dance and and this stuff is just starting to skyrocket yeah and why is that and I truly believe it's because you know in the west we've lost that connection we've lost the community we've lost the ceremony and you know if you go to these indigenous cultures that are still very much family orientated family connected connected to their roots there there, there's a very different approach to that and I feel as though they don't feel that they're lacking that connection and then this western culture of you know the way we're moving so rapidly it's like I feel like we're all quite disconnected from our roots we and almost we're envious of indigenous people I feel that for sure eh yeah well they have this strong heritage they're so proud they're so you know, like, and it's really funny because when I look at Sally's journey, it's like she grew up in Lima. She was from what we call the lost generation, you know, of Andean people who moved to the city for for hope and for money. And, and suddenly they're sort of like, who am I? Yeah. You know, and she's on this kind of going back to her roots and really reconnecting. And, and I see her on that journey. I'm like, God, I'm kind of envious of that. Like, 
I want to have that strong, you know, I want to be Quankin. I want to have this lineage that goes deep into the Andean mountains. Mm. And, you know, in the West, it's like, we're, we're, we're a bit lost here. Like, where are we from? Yeah. Like, where's our ancestry? Where's our connection? Like we're settlers. We came from Europe. Yeah. We settled here, but it's, is it home for us? You know, like, yeah. like we're, our communities have changed. We're very different. And I feel a lot of this has really created some of these problems in our mm. society and our culture, this kind of unified living. And yeah. So how do we engage these people? And I think some of these practices are amazing. Like if you're, you know, if you're feeling empty, like honestly go to one of these evenings of Kirtan. Yeah. You know, cacao, cacao and Kirtan, like at the wellness hubs or something. And just, and you think, oh, that's a bit silly. But then you get there and you're like, this is great. Like, I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to talk to these people. Yeah. Like, oh, totally. The first time you go is uncomfortable and all of those feelings. But after yeah. that, when you realize what you can get from it, that, and yeah. that what you can get is actually something that you're really missing, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and go to a festival. Yeah. Go to Luminate, go to NZ Spirit, go to Resolution, go to Earthbeat. Like suddenly you'll just start to feel way more connected to people. Join a women's circle, join a men's circle, like join Conscious Auckland or Conscious Wellington, you know, those kind of Facebook pages and really start to delve into it because I feel as though now the tools are out there for people to become connected. Mm. And our job is really just to try and and get more people to to try uh, and join in on some of these amazing activities then you know even within the last five years it's grown massively which is super exciting mm. so these fringe festival like explore i mean explore is really that's that's the edge of kind of wellness meets mainstream totally it's perfect like, i think yeah. it's like all the pe- types of people who go to explore are open to something like a cacao ceremony but they might not have done one before so yeah yeah was, that's the opportunity like i feel like you're very you chose the right festival to really go and promote your podcast because yeah i you're gonna find more people there that you can get interested than you know everyone at at spirit or Earthbeat. you know they're already they're already there So you've got to get the people that would normally go to the bar and hang out and go to a dance party, but they're (laughs) sort of, you know what I mean? It's like they're wanting. Yeah. You've you've just got to show them the the right way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Oh, it's nice finishing on the sort of hopeful, hopeful stuff as well, isn't it? But yeah. My last question is just about a sort of recent book or podcast or poem or any or quote or anything that's really spoken to you that you'd like to share. Oh man. You know there's it's not really a recent book, but one book that I I recently reread it. So yeah. I'm going to give you that one. Yeah. And it was amazing too because this was all pre-covid and we were we took some time out because running your own business is is tough. It's very hard. Mm, I bet. And you know, like it's a lot of a lot of things you got to especially when you're, you know, you're a couple, you're running it together 24/7 together. And I we were in Mexico and we we had a holiday just before the whole covid thing hit. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd been able to read a book in 5 6 years since we started the business. Oh wow. <laughs> Cuz oh we've just gosh. been too busy. So it's like what do I want to read? So I got out an old book that I just really remember changing me in my 20s and it's written by a guy called Robert Anton Wilson. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's called Prometheus Rising. Cool. 
it's an amazing book because it talks about human consciousness and it talks about the development of our brain and the way in which the brain has evolved based on these eight circuits of consciousness that we have for being conscious circuits for being subconscious so a lot of the work is kind of a summary of of some of the theories of freud and jung and some of these great you know philosophers and people but also it it also looks at the works of like timothy leary and some of the more fringe people within those models so it's kind of a, a bit of a, a best of both yeah um, but it, it's amazing read and it will really help people to better understand human behavioral patterns is the word I'm looking for and maybe help you better understand the way you behave yeah as well from everything like how you feel how you act what you say what you do but yeah and it's always one of those books you need just to always keep rereading because it's super in-depth but it's yeah you can probably get something different every time you read it almost exactly yeah and there's an awesome chapter in there about synchronicities Mm. and Sally and I were like okay we're going to play the synchronicity game and it's like a synchronicity of like you're going to walk out on the street and you're going to find a penny yeah. you know and so we were searching for the penny for like well a coin like yeah. you know for and and we read the book and we're like we're going to manifest this penny we're going to see it we're going to say and it never happened it never uh. happened and then and then one day though the day we stopped looking we found a penny mm. or a coin it was a Mexican coin and then it's like that whole thing of like, you know, the rational mind tries to explain it as in now that we were looking for the coin, maybe the coin was always there. So that's why we see the coin. <laughs> but then, you know, like also trying to read into the synchronicities and to understand the message that you're being told and, and also reading number plates, reading numbers, reading, you know, like all of this, it's just fascinating. So yeah. it's a really fun book because it, it gives you some of these tasks to do. Yeah. Oh, cool. And, and you can things. really play on it and and yeah but we had some really crazy synchronicities happen when we stopped looking and we were trying to piece together the messaging of it and like what is the message the universe has for us and what is it trying to tell us yeah interesting yeah I wonder the takeaway there could be just to let it happen just to trust without sort of striving for it maybe yeah Oh, totally. But yeah, it's I, I love this kind of book. It really make you think. So there's a good one. Everyone yeah. get out and read it. Yeah. If you wanna if you wanna open your mind to new yeah. ideas, it's a fantastic read. Yeah. Oh cool. Oh cool. Epic. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Karen. That was that was a really incredible conversation. We sort of got through quite different topics, which was really nice. Yeah, and I really appreciate what you're doing for the wellness community. I think it's a super exciting, you know, podcast, exciting ideas. I am, like I said, you know, there's so many people that can benefit out there. So I really hope that we can engage some new listeners and people yeah. that are more like looking, you know. So yeah, I'm we're super supportive at Selena House and any way that we can be of assistance, let us know. And hopefully we can do some more discussions in the future. You should get Sally to come on and talk about her journey at some yeah, point. Yeah, that really would be cool. That'd be really cool. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with a friend, leave a review on iTunes or Spotify, and yeah, let me know what you thought. I love hearing from you when you like the conversations. So thanks again for your support and have a lovely 
Bis wieder.